Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So today is the 40th day of Easter, and as we heard from Acts 1, Jesus presented himself to the disciples during 40 days, which is why we observe the ascension of the Lord today, the 40th day of Easter. Always going to fall on a Thursday, because... Easter is always on a Sunday, and 40, the 40th day of Easter will always be a Thursday. Our gospel lesson is short, but it's packed with insight and provides the conclusion to the gospel of Luke. And I want to go through the lesson and sort of talk to it as we look at, um, at the lesson more closely. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This first verse says a lot. First, it says that the entire Old Testament was written about Jesus. Secondly, it says that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So here we see three main points. Number one, Christ should suffer and die. Number two, Christ should rise from the dead. And number three, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed or preached. Suffering, death, resurrection, and preaching. All of the sacrificial system, the blood of bulls and goats, pointed forward to salvation by the atoning sacrifice of the Christ, the Messiah. So to understand the scriptures correctly, which is interesting if you go back and and you look at that verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Even after three years in the school of Jesus, the disciples still didn't fully understand. So don't beat yourself up if you have been toiling, studying scriptures for years and you feel like there's still more to learn. You just keep doing that forever and you will grow and you will learn more and more. New each day, we'll see. But... All of this was pointing forward to the Messiah, and to understand the scriptures correctly, you have to understand them Christologically. That is, in other words, to say that everything in them points to Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of all of the scriptures. Everything that it's pointing to is fulfilled in Christ. The scriptures bear witness about him, and the witness is summarized thus. The Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, must suffer and die, and he must rise from the dead, and this is the message that must be preached to all nations. Jesus said to his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. In other words, the disciples saw these events and will bear witness to these events as they preach first in Jerusalem and then to the ends of the earth. But hold on. Hang on. (laughs) Jesus continues. 
And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So they don't run off and preach yet. Of course, we know uh, this. we, We see in this the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is coming to them on the day of Pentecost. That'll be not this coming Sunday. This Sunday is the seventh Sunday of Easter. The following Sunday, the eighth Sunday of Easter, the eighth day, if you will, is the day of Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit will come and then they will go forth and preach in Jerusalem and to all the nations. But for now, they are to sit tight and wait. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Remember a few, well, it's a few months back, we read from Luke's gospel. When Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem, he came in through Bethany prior to his death and and his suffering and his death in Jerusalem. He knew what he was doing when he came into Jerusalem. He was coming there to suffer and die. But he came in through Bethany. Now he's coming out through Bethany. Uh, while, While he blessed them, all right, sorry, I got, I got sidetracked. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Isn't that interesting? They are no longer hiding behind locked doors, afraid of being found out. They are in one of the most public places they possibly could be, the temple. They're in the temple worshiping Jesus. They have been emboldened by his resurrection and his ascension. Jerusalem is a place where Jesus was hated. It's where he was attacked. It's where he was made to suffer and die. And where the apostles had previously split. I'm out of here in fear of their own persecution, even denying Jesus, as we saw Peter had done. But now they are continually in the temple blessing God. They're praising God in the most public place imaginable. If Jesus' ascension means that he has left them, why would they be in there worshiping him? Think about that. If his ascension, if the implication of Jesus' ascension going up into heaven is that he's left them, well, what are they doing in the temple worshiping and praying to him? Aha! He hasn't left them. He has ascended, but that doesn't mean he's gone. Our lesson from Ephesians today um, says that God has raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. Christ is not absent in the ascension. He is present. He's present now in heaven as the intercessor for you. Think of Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is present in the sacrament. This is my body. This is my blood. Jesus' words. He is present in the word. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And God's very Word works faith in us. Christ is present in all of these things. And so the disciples worship Jesus Christ, who is present even after his ascension. They have been commissioned to preach, and they're ready to go, but not yet, as they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And this preaching that they will do is not their own. This word that we translate proclaim or preach, keruzo, means to publicly herald, to make a public announcement or declaration, not your own message. To keruzo in the name of Jesus means to share the message that Jesus has given to share. Nothing more, nothing less. Oh, I mean, just ask my family. There's many more things that I could say if I got off on a tangent. But don't listen to me. Listen to Christ's word. And believe me when I say that is my prayer every time I preach. God, let my teaching and preaching be pure and be your word. The proclaimer does not herald their own thoughts or their own ideas or their own words. They proclaim the message they have been given to proclaim. That message that we're given here is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Just like John the baptizer preached repentance for the forgiveness of sins, we are to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But this time, we're looking back and we're preaching based on the historical facts of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. These events have taken place. All of this in accordance with the scriptures. Suffered, died, buried, descended into hell, ascended into heaven. You know, it sounds a lot like our creeds, doesn't it? Of course. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Law and gospel. The law condemns. The gospel restores. The law says, do this. Don't do that. For example, let's consider the first commandment. You shall have no other gods, which means, to use Luther's small catechism, that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. How are you all doing with that today? Have you spent one moment today, just one little moment thinking or doing anything other than what you ought. I know I have. Have you placed all of your trust in God to provide for your every need? If you have, then you may have given away a great deal today since others are in need of your generosity and you have more than enough to live on. But I suspect that you, like me, have reached this evening and can only confess that we have not loved God with our whole heart as we know we ought. How then shall we be saved? Maybe, perhaps, if we do better tomorrow, will that bring about our salvation? If we do better tomorrow? No. But then again, do you think you will ever reach the point where you do it all correctly? 
So we've just only begun to look merely at the first commandment, and we have nine more. So moving on to commandment number two. Just kidding. (laughs) All right, we only looked at the first commandment, and we already see that we have a problem. What now? Just shrug it off. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? God just wants you to do your best. That's good enough. You've probably heard those things before. But that is by no means the message of the law. It it is not just do your best. Absolutely not. It is Jesus, just as he said, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And yet we're not. Jesus says, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. The law is not meant to be minimized. We must not do that. We can't take the law and shrink it down and shrug it off and pretend like it's not important. The law has its purpose. It condemns us. And the gospel has its purpose. It restores us. The law says, do this, don't do that. The gospel says, Jesus Christ has done it for you. You are forgiven for Christ's sake. That's the gospel message. And the gospel is only sweeter and better when the law is at its fullest. When the law condemns you the most, that's when the gospel lifts you up the most. Dr. Luther's first of his famous 95 theses is this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Now, of course, he also went on to explain that repentance does not refer to some contrived system of penance and satisfaction where you say so many Hail Marys and and offer so many uh, special you know, offerings to the church and you'll be saved. But it refers rather to the true inner repentance. The true inner repentance is the one that is weighed down by guilt and shame that comes with sin. The true inner repentance is the one that leads you to just simply cry out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Remember? The man that said that uh, cried out, he was a tax collector and a sinner. And all he could do was say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he's the one who has forgiven of his sins. A broken and contrite heart is what God desires. And that is the heart he will not turn away. With that cry of repentance comes the most blessed word you could ever hear. You are forgiven. Rejoice. My beloved, Jesus Christ has suffered and died. He has been raised from the dead and he has ascended into heaven. He lives, he lives to make intercession for you. In Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.